Chapter Number Thirty One of Asphodel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. Asphodel by Mary Elizabeth Braden. Chapter Thirty One. I would live in peace if that i might they had been three days at the homely comfortable hotel at les avant and madeline was looking all the better for the fresh hillside air an improvement upon which mrs ferrers expatiated as the latest confirmation of the one all-abiding fact of her own ineffable wisdom it was one of the loveliest days there had been in all that delicious month of summer weather passing warm yet with a gentle west wind that faintly stirred the heavy chestnut leaves and breathed on daphne's cheek or fluttered round her neck like a caress scarcely moving the soft lace ruffle round her throat it was a day on which a white gown seemed the only thing possible in costume and daphne and lena were both dressed in white it was not by any means the kind of day for climbing or excursioning of any kind as even that ardent explorer aunt rhoda was fain to confess rather a day on which to wander gently up and down easy paths or to sit in the pine woods reading tennyson or browning or adding a few lazy stitches to the last sunflower in hand you seem to go at your work with a good deal less vigor daphne said edgar seated at his lady's feet on a carpet of fur needles his knees drawn up to his chin clad in light gray alpaca and a panama hat on the back of his head a cool but not especially becoming costume mr churchill was not one of those few men who look well in unconventional clothes the weather is too warm for industry i'm afraid those curtains will never be finished oh yes they will said daphne i mean to persevere i may be a very old woman by the time they are done but i am not to give in lena says my life is a thing of shreds and patches i will show her that i'm not to be daunted by the stupendousness of a task three hundred and fifty one and a quarter sunflowers still to be done doesn't it rather remind you of that type of the everlasting a rock against which a bird scrapes its beak once in a thousand years and when the bird has worn away the whole rock time will come to an end please go on with loria and try to be a little more dramatic and a little less monotonous i am a wretched reader said edgar apologetically as he looked for his place but i think i might read a shade better if i understood what i was reading browning is rather obscure i'm afraid you have not a poetic mind you didn't seem to understand much of 
atalanta in caledon which you so kindly read to us yesterday i'm afraid i didn't confessed the square of hawk's yard with praiseworthy meekness modern poetry is rather difficult i can always understand shakespeare and pope and crabbe and byron but i own that even woodsworth is beyond me his meaning is pretty clear but i can't discover its beauties simply because your intellectual growth was allowed to stop when you left rugby but i insist upon you learning to appreciate tennyson and browning so please go on with loria in my opinion daphne remarked aunt rhoda with an auricular air it would have been much better for the balance of your mind if you had read a great deal more prose and a great deal less poetry good solid reading of a thoroughly useful kind would have taught you to think properly and to express yourself carefully instead of perpetually startling people by giving utterance to the wildest ideas i think i speak as the birds sing answered daphne because i can't help it the habit of sober thought is a valuable one which i hope you will acquire by and by when you are mistress of a household or else i am sorry for your future husband please don't be sorry for me mrs fetters protested edgar reddening angrily as he always did at any slight to daphne i am so perfectly contented with my fate that it would be a waste of power to pity me it is early days yet sighed aunt rhoda but i live in the hope that daphne will steady and tone down before she becomes a wife if you don't begin to read this instant whispered daphne with her rosy lips close to edgar's ear i shall be made the text of one of aunt rhoda's homilies edgar took the hint and plunged anyhow and anywhere into the pages of browning they lived all day in the woods taking their luncheon picnic fashion under the pine trees the two young men catered and fetched and carried for them assisting by mauser they brought cold fowls and sliced strasburg ham and salad fruit and cake a bottle of bordeaux and another of a swiss white wine which was rather like a weak imitation of devonshire perry but such a meal spread upon a snow-white tablecloth under pine trees over which dark feathery tops gleam the blue bright summer heaven is about the most enjoyable banquet possible for youthful revellers even aunt rhoda admitted that it was an agreeable change from the home comforts of arden rectory i hope my dear rector is being taken care of she murmured plaintively when she had dulled the edge of an appetite sharpened by that clear air i hope you will all do justice to the chickens said gerald looking across at daphne who was sat by edgar's side 
in a thoroughly Darby and Jonish manner. I remember once being at a picnic in a forest where an elderly fowl was made quite a feature of. My hostess fancied I was desperately hungry and was quite distressed at my avoidance of the ancient bird. Daphne's eyes were on her plate, but a slow smile crept over her face in spite of herself. She and Gerald had scarcely looked at each other in all those days among the pine trees. They had lived in daily intercourse, and yet contrived to dwell as completely apart as if the lake had flowed between them, as if he, like St. Prue, had gazed across the blue waters to catch the glimmer of his beloved's casement and she like julie had pined in the home that was desolate without love's fatal presence it was hardly possible for resolve to have been firmer than daphne's had been since that night at freeburg it was hardly possible for an honest purpose to have been more honestly fulfilled mauser waiting upon the picnickers saw that significant look of gerald's and daphne's answering smile just as she had seen many things at south hill and elsewhere which only her observant eyes had noted still at your old tricks my young lady she said to herself but jane mauser has got an eye upon you and your mocking ventions shan't succeed if Mauser's faithful service can circumvent you. After luncheon, they all sat idly looking down at the distant lake, lying so far beneath their feet, like a pool of blue water in the hollow of the hills, or wandered a little here and there, searching out higher points from which to look down at the lake, or across to the cloud-wrapped Alps. As the day wore on, the light western breeze dropped and died away, and there came the stillness of a sultry August afternoon, just such an atmosphere as that of the Lotus Eater's Isle, the land where it was always afternoon. And Rhoda, who had lunched more copiously than the others, succumbed to the enervating influence of summer the outlined anti-mascar on which she had been diligently stitching a design of infantine simplicity a little girl with a watering pot a little boy with an umbrella dropped from her hands the blue lake below winked at her in the sunshine like a titanic eye the soft sweet breath of the pines gratified her nostrils and that delicious sense of being gently baked through and through in nature's slow oven finally overcame her and she sank into a thoroughly enjoyable slumber a sleep in which she knew she was sleeping and tasted all the blessedness of repose Daphne sat on a knoll a little way below her aunt, struggling with a sunflower, heartily tired of it all the time, and painfully oppressed by
by the consciousness of the three hundred and fifty-one sunflowers remaining to be done after this one it is like the line of the egyptian kings she murmured with a sigh an endless procession too stupendous for the imagination to grasp edgar stretched at the feet of his adored had fallen as fast asleep as aunt rhoda madeline and gerard had wandered off to the higher grounds they were going to the col de germain for anything daphne knew to the contrary this particular sunflower now approaching a finish seemed the most irritating of all his tribe daphne tightened her thread pulled it into a knot boggled at the knot lost patience and threw the work aside in a rage who could do cruel work on such a stifling day she cried looking angrily down at the lake with its girdle of towns and villages gardens and vineyards looking angrily even at picturesque chillon with its medieval turrets and drawbridge angrily at the calm snow-shrouded dent du midi and the dark green hills around its base then having explored the wide landscape with eyes blind for this moment to its beauty she looked discontently at the reclining form at her feet the faithful lover slumbering serenely oblivious of wasps and centipedes a log she muttered to herself a log blind and deaf good yes i know he is good and i try to value him for his goodness but oh how weary i am how weary how weary she flung aside her work and wandered away along a narrow winding pathway trodden by the feet of previous wanderers upward and upward towards the granite point of the dent de germain gray against the sapphire sky she walked scarcely knowing where she went or why urged by a fever of the mind which hurried her any whither to escape from the weariness of her own thoughts as if such escape were possible to humanity she had been walking along the same serpentine path for nearly an hour neither knowing nor caring where it might be leading her the great peak of the granite rock always rose yonder in the same distant patch of blue above the dark pine trees it seemed as if she might go on mounting this hilly path forever and get no nearer to that lonely point it as far off as happiness or contentment she said to herself vain to dream of reaching it she stopped at last and looked at her watch feeling that the afternoon was wearing on and that it might be time for her to hurry back to the family circle it was past five and the dinner hour was seven and she had been roaming upwards by paths which might lead her astray in the descent one woodland path being so like another she began her homeward 
journey walking quickly her thoughtful eyes bent upon the ground she was hurrying on absorbed in her own thoughts when her name was uttered by that one only voice which had power to thrill her soul daphne she looked up and saw gerald goring seated on a fallen pine trunk smoking he flung away a cigarette and came towards her good afternoon she said with a careless nod i am hurrying back to dinner he put out his hand and caught her by the arm and drew her towards him authoritatively you are not going to escape me so easily he said pale to the lips with strongest feeling no you and i have a long reckoning to settle what do you think i am made of that you dare to treat me as you have done for the last month am i a dog to be whistled to your side to be lured away from love and fealty to another by every trick and grace and charm within the compass of a woman's art and then to be dismissed like a dog sent back to my former owner you think you can cure me of my folly cure me by silence and averted looks that i can forget you and be again the man i was before i loved you daphne you should know me better than that you have kindled a fire in my blood which you alone can quench you have steeped me in a poison for which you have the only antidote oh my enone my enone will you refuse the balm that can heal my wounds the balsam that you alone can bestow daphne looked at him without flinching the sweet girlish face deadly pale but fixed as marble i told you what i thought and meant in my letter she said quietly i have never wavered from that never wavered he cried savagely you are made of stone i have been trying you i've been waiting for you to give way i know it must come in the end for i know that you love me i know it i know it i have known it almost ever since i came back to south hill and saw your cheek whiten when you recognized me and i have been waiting to see how long this drama of self-sacrifice would last how long you would deny your love and falsify your whole nature it has lasted long enough daphne the chase has been severe enough your tender feet have been wounded by the thorny ways of self-sacrifice your poor apollo's patience is well nigh worn out my love my love why should we go on disassembling to each other and to all the rest of the world looking at each other with stony countenances dumb cold when every throb of each burning heart beats for the other when every feeling in each breast responds to its twin soul as finely as a note of music to the touch of the player 
let us end it all daphne let us make an end of this long dissemination this life of hypocrisy come with me dear fly with me now daphne now this instant before there is time for either of us to repent we can be married tomorrow morning at geneva it can be easily managed in that puritan city come away with me my beloved i will honor and respect your purity as faithfully as if a hundred knights rode at your saddle bow my beloved do you think that good can come to anyone by a lifelong lie by the tramping out of nature's sweetest purest feeling in two loving hearts he had drawn her to his breast folded in a lover's arms for the first time in her life she looked up into the eyes whose passionate ordure seemed to encompass her with a divine flame as if this man who clasped her to his breast had been indeed the old greek god sublime in the radiance of youth and genius and immortal beauty daphne will you be my wife i cannot answer that question yet she said slowly faltering after a pause of some moments you must give me time let me go now this instant i must hurry back to the hotel what when i hold you in my arms for the first time when i am steeped in the rapture of a satisfied love oh daphne if you knew how often in feverish dreams i have held you i have looked down into your eyes and drunk the nectar of your lips what as she drew herself suddenly away from him even now you refuse me one kiss the solemn pledge of our union cruel too cruel girl tomorrow shall decide our fate she said for pity's sake as you are a gentleman let me go he released her that moment his arms dropped at his sides and she was free there was no necessity for that appeal he said coldly you can go alone if you choose though i should like to walk back to the hotel with you i left your sister it seemed as if it were difficult for him to pronounce lena's name in the garden before i strolled up here i thought you were with your devoted lover you say to-morrow shall decide our fate i cannot imagine why you should hesitate or postpone your decision i know that you love me as fondly as i love you and that neither of us can ever care for anyone else promise me at least one thing before we part to-day promise me that you will break off this pitiful mockery of an engagement to a man whom you despise i do not despise him that is too hard a word but i promise that i will never be edgar churchill's wife lose no time in letting him know that my blood boils 
and my heart sickens every time i see him touch your hand thank god he keeps his kisses for your hours of privacy he has never kissed me but once in my life said daphne tossing up her head and blushing angrily thank god again good-bye she said looking at him with a pathetic tenderness love struggling with despair he leaned against the brown trunk of the fir tree pale to the lips his eyes fixed on the ground where the mosses and starry white blossoms and tremendous harebells and delicate maidenhair fern shone like jewels in the golden patches of light which flickered with every movement of the dark branches above them his eyes perused every leaf and every petal noting their form and color with mechanical accuracy of observation his pencil could have reproduced every detail of that little bit of broken ground six months afterwards daphne he said huskily you are very cruel to me i am not going to let you see how low a man can sink when he loves a woman as weakly as blindly as madly as i love you i am not going to show you how base he can be how sunk in his own esteem there is some remnant of pride left in me i am not going to crawl at your feet or to shed womanish tears but i tell you all the same you are breaking my heart it is all foolishness said daphne pale but calm of speech and eye every nerve braced in the intensity of her resolution as much just this moment why should i sacrifice my honor and my self-respect to gratify a weak blind mad love i love my sister with a truer better holier affection than i could ever feel for you if i had been your wife five-and-twenty years and it were our silver wedding day she smiled even in her despair at the impossible image of herself and gerald goring grown middle-aged and stout and commonplace like the principal figures in a silver wedding why cannot you let the past be past forget that you ever have been so foolish so false as to care for me forget yes if i could do that it would be as easy to pluck my heart out of my body and go on living comfortably afterwards no daphne i can never forget no daphne i can never go back to the old calm tranquil love it never was love it was friendship affection respect what you will but not love i never knew what love meant till i knew you good-bye she said gently perceiving that an argument of this kind might go on for ever it was sweet to hear him plead there was even a fearful kind of happiness half sweet half bitter 
in being alone with him in that silent wood in knowing that he was her own heart mind and soul devoted to her ready to sacrifice honor and good name for her sake for what would the world say of him if he jilted madeline and ran away with madeline's sister her breast swelled with ineffable pride at the thought of her triumph over this man to whom her girlish heart had given itself unwittingly on just such a summer afternoon as this two years ago the man who had so often seemed to scorn her to regard her only as a subject for friendly ridicule in the beginning of things at south hill he was at her feet she had made him her slave her heart thrilled with delight at the knowledge of his love yet above every selfish consideration was her thought of her sister and that made her firm as the granite peak of jaman yonder rising sharply above its black girdle of firs she looked at him for a few moments steadily with a curious smile a smile which lighted up the expressive face with an almost inspired look her hand rested lightly on the face at her throat the fingertips just touching the pearl necklace lena's new year's gift which she wore constantly it was her talisman let us shake hands she said and part friends friends he echoed scornfully am i ever anything else than your friend i am your slave the greater includes the less he clasped her hand in both of his lifted it to his lips and then let her go without a word the smile faded from her face as she turned from him she went slowly down the hill by the winding path gerald took a hasty survey of the scene and then struck downwards by a descent that seemed almost perpendicular End of chapter 31 Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C.